0: Be excited. Be be excited. Be excited. Be
1: be excited. We got a winner. We got a winner. We got a winner. She's a what is it? She's a got a smile from Brighton Beach, Brooklyn. Jesus Christ. Hey. Uh, if you're listening, if you're still listening, you are tuning into A Thousand and One by One, where we take a movie from the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately come to the conclusion, should this movie be in the book? My name is Adam St. John. And I am Ian Woodington, And uh, we've got a doozy for you today. Um, yeah, uh, we th- we thought we'd, we'd
0: softball one in there with Stand By Me. Episode two, Requiem for a Dream.
1: Yeah. Um... And if you haven't seen Requiem for a Dream, um, the very, very basic plot is that it's following uh, the lives of four people, Uh, Jared Leto, uh, his mother, uh, played by Ellen Burstein, and we will talk about Ellen Burstein. Yeah,
0: we'll get Um, to that. uh,
1: uh, Jared Leto's girlfriend, played by Jennifer Connelly, and Jared Leto's friend, played by Marlon Wayans, and... um, Of In Living Color fame. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Amongst others. Yes. Uh, Scary movie. Anyways. um, I'm not not going to acknowledge that. I'm not going to (laughs) justify. Essentially, uh, the movie is following the lives of these four people as they go in and out of their different types of addiction. Um, So it is is safe to say that this is a tough movie to watch.
0: Um, Especially the last... 25 minutes or so it Yes, gets a
1: little little hard to stomach but we are getting a little bit ahead of ourselves um, so this is Requiem for a Dream uh, uh, is directed by Aaron Aronofsky this is his second feature that he directed after Pi um, he wrote the book with uh, Hubert Selby Jr um, who also um, makes a small cameo at the end yes he did um, it premiered at Cannes yes
0: it did out of competition unfortunately because had it premiered in competition I think it would have Done tremendous. I do too. It would have probably done one more business stateside, and then two probably taken home a couple of wars Maybe not Palm Door, but you could certainly imagine Aronofsky walking away with something. Yeah. Maybe even Ellen Bernstein oh, walking yeah, away yeah. with with something as well.
1: Um. So when we we talk about the uh uh, in the last episode we talked about with Stand by Me. Um. Darren Aronofsky is not currently represented in the book outside of Requiem for a Dream. In past editions, uh, the Wrestler and Black Swan have been in there, but as editions have gone on, um, those two movies have not made the cut.
0: Which is unfortunate. It I mean, is. I, I think most people listening probably know Aronofsky for Black Swan. That certainly seems at this point to be his most successful movie. Then you've got Noah as well, which was, which did more business than I thought it was going to do. Yeah. I mean, I I didn't particularly take to it. I like the first half of it, not so much
1: the second half of the movie. Let's just say it's a good thing it's not in 1001. Yeah,
0: we would tear that apart. Yeah, uh, And then, of course, his most recent feature, Mother, oh. which was
1: totally polarizing. Wow. Oh, yeah. I, I liked it. Oh, I did not. No? No. At all?
0: No. Well, you're also a father.
1: Yep, I have kids. And uh, that's... Whew. No, it was... And I'm not going to... I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to take oh, my God. anything away from that. Oof. I mean, that was very difficult to watch. But I also think... I also think, as metaphors go, or allegory, or whatever the right word is, there, uh, it beats you over the head. It's a little, it's a little on the nose. It's a little like, uh, like it's punching you in the nose. Yeah. We're not talking about Mother though, <laughs> but what we should talk about very
0: briefly while we're talking about him as a filmmaker, absolutely and his whole sort of repertoire. Uh, the Fountain is actually, to be honest with you, my personal favorite Aronofsky film. Now, I think Requiem for a Dream is probably his best film, followed black swan and the wrestler i go back and forth on sure uh but the fountain is a very important film to me it really struck a chord with me i remember going and seeing that thanksgiving weekend uh the weekend that it came out uh, 2006 and just being utterly devastated by it i sat there all the way to the end of the end credits just because i couldn't bring myself to move like i had to sit there and be in it and really just absorb that soundtrack uh, one of the cr- all-time great soundtracks. Uh, his frequent collaborator, Clint Mansell, yep. and then he also uh, worked with Mogwai on the soundtrack there who were a Scottish uh, instrumental band who I've been lucky enough to see live. If you ever get the chance to see Mogwai live,
1: treat yourselves. Um, so uh, when we we were just talking about... Um, y- you just mentioned how you saw The Fountain in theater, so uh, what's your familiarity with Requiem uh, in terms of... How- how how often? How many times have you seen this movie prior I, to the podcast?
0: In the last episode, I mentioned that I'd seen Stand by Me fifteen to twenty times. Requiem is probably in that same sort of ballpark. I saw it at what I would call exactly the right age. I was about fifteen when I saw it. Me too. Um, starting to experiment with with drugs and alcohol a little bit, and I think this movie really sort of helped right the ship for me a little bit and show me, hey, this is how far you can slip. And when I describe this movie to people, uh, especially in the area where we grew up, where yeah. we had a huge meth problem, yep, um, this this movie to me was something that I don't feel... And this is where the ratings board is a little messed up. I won't get all the way on that soapbox, but there is a, there is a thing with the ratings board in this country which is a little skewed for me as to where fantasy violence... Uh, and things like that are you know not so much frowned upon as they should be whereas realistic violence and you know really big issues like addiction that are instantly slapped with an R rating. and in fact I believe it was Aronofsky who uh, in the documentary this film is not yet rated he talks about how something like he, he, the, the contrast that he makes is that something like a James Bond movie should be giving an R rating because it shows, fantasy violence it's not realistic you don't pull out a gun shoot it and guy falls over there's no blood stuff like that Whereas something like what he compared it to was saving private ryan which is on is, is an art but mm-hmm. shows the realism of violence that should be a pg-13 you should show kids what violence really is yeah right so and and again this is how i i talk to people about this movie whenever i would recommend it to anybody is that i do honestly believe that this film should be shown in schools i when you when you deal with issues of drug, because Nan- we all know that Nancy Reagan's Dare program, it it failed. Let's
1: let's not say it was a total failure. Oh, dude, but it was not a success. I, oh, you've said so many things. I have to respond to. So the first is that I agree that this this needs to be shown in high school to kids. I mean, kids, not the right word, but high but school sure, kids,
0: kids of a
1: kids of the right age, kids I, that are now aware of what drugs are. Right? I mean, it's. I mean, it's. Yeah, I agree. Um, second thing, I was a dare kid. I said my dare speech at graduation when I was in the fifth grade.
0: Oh boy. You had
1: to know that. I had to let if you Thank didn't know you. that now, you know it now. I'm gonna treasure that. Now, here's the thing. I, I you know, I still drank alcohol, but I mean, you sure. know, sure. Yeah, that we're was... not we're not here to get on a soapbox, we're not here to preach to you. No, no. Um That's that's not why we're here. But this movie absolutely I mean, Aronofsky's other films where he is he is going out there and trying to try to make a point, but in a kind of a roundabout way, I prefer this just like Direct approach. Oh, to this, I mean, it it, 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 for me, it's it's the U.S. version of Train Spotting. Sure. I, I mean, yes, but, but less
0: less, less stylis- humor, less humor, well, less stylistic. Yeah. The, 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 well, but
1: there's I wouldn't even stylistically. There's still the quick cuts, the edits, sure. the pupils. But for it, me, it's just I think that, I mean any comedy is taken out of this movie. I mean, I don't think there's I don't laugh in this movie.
0: Well, no, there. I mean, you have moments with Ellen Burstein where she's she's talking to her fridge. She goes, "You know what is it? Sure. One in the morning, one in the afternoon, one for dinner. There's yeah. my three meals, Mister Smarty Pants." Where yeah. she has that
1: back and forth with the fridge. Sure, but that's not. But like... But then the fridge turns into a uh, just a nightmare. Train spotting has laugh out loud moments. Sure, that's more that's more of a smirk.
0: But there but there are some horrific things, and of course, well, train spotting I believe is still I, is it still, I, in I the book? still in the book? I it's on the book. I'm I'm pretty sure it's still it, it was in the fourth edition anyway. Uh, we'll get to that. spotting will have a really great episode for oh, that. I think. Sure. I, mean, will. I, I saw both of those movies around the same time, and they were both very important, very pivotal to me at yeah. that age. And think uh,
1: spotting I think I watched once a week for six weeks straight. Well, and and kind of kind of go back and bring it back to Requiem. I, I I mean that was I watched it in high school too. Yep. Um, and to be honest, uh, when I saw it in the video rental store, you those, those were still a thing. Um, I remember. I'm not even gonna lie. I, I my parents had um, basically like written a note, or they went in person to say that I could rent movies, no questions asked. This was back in the day too, where you could like just do that. And my parents, it was this, it was not even Hollywood Video. It was the smaller one in town, Video Farm. Do you remember Video Farm? I do. Okay. So they just went down with me and said, we want him to be on our profile or our, you know, our account that he can rent our rated movies. And they just, they just wrote down that he could rent whatever. Yeah. And I believe at the time, win was an NC-17. Um, yeah, they released. There was a, the, they
0: released it in two cuts, and really the only big change is just the uh, the party scene at the end. There's yes, some, there's uh, in the same sense that's what they did to uh, Eyes Wide Shut here in the states versus the European version. They yeah. just changed the, some angles and you know block some certain things out. I think they even at one point they go as far as to blur something. Oh, in, in, very, in the very, Eyes Wide Shut one, not in not in Eyes Wide Shut in Requiem. Oh, okay, because Eyes Wide Shut was easy. They just digitally dropped. Like, sure. Tom Cruise's yeah. like silhouette in front of something, yeah. right? Whereas
1: this, they they full out, full on went and just like blurred. But anyway, so I I only rented the movie because it was NC seventeen. I was like, ooh, risque. I want to yeah. watch this. Um, and then I mean, got a hard life lesson just hit me right in the face. Yeah, and stuck with me ever since. I mean, I mean, I've probably watched this movie, as hard of a movie as this is to watch, about once a year. Um since i was 15 sure because so we're probably about in the same yeah oh absolutely yeah i would say so yeah
0: uh yeah but it's there's a lot of movies in in the 1001 that stay with you and this is if you had to make a short list of ones that
1: do not leave you this is definitely on that short list yeah i would agree um so talking about some of the film stats uh imdb 250 uh currently ranked at 81 that's, that's great. Which is awesome. I, I agree with that. I'm it definitely
0: glad... should be in the top 100 films of all time. I agree. Which yeah. is a, a great uh, a tip of the hat to Aronofsky, mm-hmm. only being his second film. It's, it doesn't feel like a second
1: film. No. High there, feels like a first film. Oh, absolutely. But this yeah, this feels like somebody... This is very established. There yeah. are
0: moments where you can he's being a little bit playful, and you can see that there are moments where he's finding his feet or finding his voice or however you want to say it. But as a whole... It really doesn't feel like a sophomore effort yeah, at all. I agree. This feels like it's coming from somebody who is very established.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, seven, only seventy-eight percent fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, though,
1: which is interesting. Um, and that's the critics' one, but the, you know, right. but the, cr- you know what? the, the audience one is ninety-three. Yeah, which yeah. is great. I'm yeah. glad. I'm actually, I feel like the critics would want to praise this movie more. Um, oh, this is a movie that absolutely lends itself to this is a critics' movie. Yeah, and and obviously seventy-eight is not bad. Um, sure, it's respectable. I would want it. I would want it. W- yeah. I
0: would call anything in the seventy in the seventy percentile. I would call that respectable.
1: Yeah. Um, in terms of uh, accolades, um, I'm going to uh, start with just something kind of s- small to start. Um, so at the Independent Spirit Awards, um, it was nominated for a bunch of things: feature director, supporting actress. Ellen Burstyn won best actress there, and it won best cinematography, um, which I I am utterly in love with anything that Matthew Liberty
0: shoots. Yeah. He is Stunning, a frequent collaborator of Malik now, which I mean, if you you got to work with anybody now, was he there on Tree of Life? Was that the Tree of Life? Is, is I may have to go back and do some research <laughs> on this, but I am almost certain that uh, that the Tree of Life is is Matthew Libatique. Uh New World for certain is okay. Okay. Um, and then, of course, he also shot The Fountain, which I mentioned earlier as mm-hmm. being my favorite yeah. uh, Aronofsky. Uh,
1: the National Board of Review gave it uh, a special recognition for the Excellence in Filmmaking Award, um, AFI. Movie of the Year. It. Was it the movie or just in the top I just thought it was in the top 10. Was Move, it, there? it was oh. Movie of the Year for the AFI. There you go. Um, and what higher sort of accolade do you need? Oh, I mean, sure. Well, yeah, which sh- it should be on their top 100, but it's not. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. Um, but here's, here's the big thing. So, Ellen Burstein in this movie is incredible. She was nominated for the Academy Award, the Golden Globe, the SAG, and the Critics' Choice. The BAFTA as well? And the BAFTA, yeah. I believe so, yeah. She's even gone on record to say that this is the best work she's done.
0: And it certainly revitalized her career. Oh, absolutely. She was
1: was big in the 70s. Yeah. She got
0: her her Oscar for the Scorsese pick Uh, Uh, Alice Alice Doesn't Live Here. Yep. Uh, she'd been nominated a bunch of times, but the '80s was the '80s and early '90s was kind of a uh, she was sinking into you know, you know, being forgotten about, or you know, she, she had a
1: short-lived TV show, did a bunch of TV movies. I mean, she was falling off the radar. And it, it, it seemed like she, unlike Streep, who was able to go from you know younger leading lady to older leading lady roles, I don't think Ellen Bursting quite. Made that leap. She league. didn't make that transition, even though she
0: had such. I mean, not only did she make Alice doesn't live here anymore. She made The Exorcist. Oh, yeah. as well, which she is. There's there's a lot of things to love about The Exorcist, and she is definitely top one or two. She's great. Yes, she's, she's great incredible. in that movie. You absolutely believe her struggle in that film.
1: Um, so I don't. I don't think if you haven't seen it, or if you have seen it, um, Ellen Burstyn is great in the movie. She lost that year, um, and. I'm I'm having a hard time trying to uh, control yourself? Yeah, to get the to get the words out. Um but she lost, which is bad enough. Um but she she lost to can Ian, can you finish this please? Julia Roberts for Aaron Brockovich. For Aaron Brockovich. Now any of you listening to this actually remember Aaron Because I sure as shit don't. Well and, and here's the thing too, is like I don't even necessarily think Aaron Brockovich is a bad movie. And in terms of um years, Steven Steven Soderbergh released Traffic and Aaron Brockovich in the same year. That's great. But I'm, I, I, I abstain. Fine. As, as filmmaking goes.
0: As filmmaking goes, yes, it's you got impressive. Two, is, it, it, is it Jurassic it, Park and Schindler's List in the same year? No. no.
1: But it's it's, well, it's still impressive. It, at least to be fair, though, Aaron Brockovich and Traffic were both nominated for Best Picture. He also was nominated for Best Director for both of those movies and, and one for Traffic.
0: That's impressive. We're
1: not talking about Steven Soderbergh. The, the, what we're talking about is the fact that Julia Roberts, who gave a underwhelming... A passable performance, we'll say. It, I mean... It, it works in the movie? It does. It does. And, and I don't think she's even wrong for the part, but to say that what she did... I know that acting is a, is a subjective thing. And that we're all well, going to have our own opinions this of is, it.
0: This is where you're allowed to really... Exactly. Allow, you but are an actor.
1: It's just... It's, you see the work that Ellen Burstyn put into it. She is just so... She's a revelation in this movie.
0: Yeah, well, And it's not just a physical transformation because she does that as well. But the range of emotions that she has to show in a movie that is less than two hours long. Yeah. And to where you would, I mean, she, for me, she's the main character, but she has to share a lot of that screen time. I mean, for me, it's it, it feels like it's balanced between her and Jared Leto.
1: They, for me, get the most screen time. I, well, I, w- I would totally agree. But it, the thing too is that when it's in Ellen Bursing's world, it's her. Jared Leto's sharing his time with with Jennifer Connelly. Yeah, and he Marlon gets Waynes. to bounce off. W- sure, but I mean, but like, yes, yeah, she is. She's doing so much with a TV screen, with a with, with props, a fridge, with the, fridge, yeah. with the pills, yeah. um, and.
0: Oh man, yeah, it's just that great sequence where she's walking down the street, all lost and confused, and you have you know Luxe A- that version of Lux Eturna yeah. kicking in, and mm-hmm. the world is going by her so quickly, and she's like frozen in time, and her you know breaking down as as her as her body starts to I guess you know reject what she's trying to do to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it is. In in the world of filmmaking and you know giving out accolades, which again is everybody says it's not why they do it, but it is a travesty of,
1: of I'll just say it's a travesty of justice. Yeah. Uh, so let's just kind of get into the movie and talking about things that stuck with us um, beyond the overarching, you know, I'm never going to do heroin. Yeah. Um,
0: well, and as and, and to to sort of set the scene, we'll. Before we delve into into the meat of it, Roger Ebert at the time said of this film, "Aronofsky brings a new urgency to the drug movie by trying to reproduce through his subjective camera how his characters feel or want to feel or fear to feel." And that's that's the movie in a nutshell. That's nothing that that is the the best thing I, I feel was said about the movie. Well, and
1: *Requiem for a Dream* is is a it's a drug movie, sure, it, and. And in, in, in and around the same time as this movie, Traffic, which we just kind of mentioned, and Blow came out. And the thing that I I really really appreciate about Red is what he talked about is that you know we're seeing what these characters are going through, um. And it, what is it the snorri cam, the one that's strapped oh, to them? Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: that was one of the first times that had really been used in in a production like this. What, I mean, it'd been used
1: in some music videos and, yeah. and commercials and things like that. But, but like that. I don't know, like putting and having that be not an action movie, but a, like a movie focusing on drugs. He, he that was an intentional thing to, to make you feel what these characters were feeling and see from in their, their face. Yeah, right. And just choosing to, to you know, not shy away from the, the harshness and not even of the drug stuff, but you know, where you know Marlon Wayne's is in the back of that limo about to get like a promotion in the drug world, and the, the screen comes down, and the driver shoots the guy, and it, you just see the blood hit him in the face. And then he's running down the and then, street exactly, yeah. and that and that's where that cam comes in. And and he, something else I want to say too is, everybody in this movie is great. And oh, they all rise above. Marlon Wayans what? is fantastic in yeah. this, and it's a shame that he did not get to do other things besides really bad comedies because I thought he was fantastic in this. Yeah, this absolutely
0: showcases his potential. I don't, and I don't know whether that's a typecasting thing or whether that's he's not choosing to tap into that potential. But sure. It's everybody, all four of them rise above anything we could have dreamed that they were capable of. Now, I mean, and it's people were so shocked and surprised when Jared Leto got his Oscar, his best supporting actor Oscar for Dallas Buyers Club. And Mm -hmm. I went, I don't understand why you're surprised. Nobody seemed to remember Requiem of the Dream. That's that's the Jared Leto that I know. Yeah, he might be the lead singer for some. Crappy
1: indie band, and or I, I, you or know what? And else, I, I've just chosen not to listen to it, so I don't know. I'm not gonna. I don't have an opinion on that.
0: I've heard a couple. It's, eh, it's kind of pedestrian. Um, but yeah, and and that's not the point. The point is that is that why were you all surprised when he got his Oscar? Like the potential was always there. Yeah. It just it just took 13 years to manifest. Sure.
1: Yeah, I would agree with but
0: that. But it but it was there because he is, again, so good in this. Yeah. He really I mean, is. The scene between him and Ellen Burstein where he confronts her about her drug use, where he catches her
1: grinding her teeth. Mm-hmm. Again, that is would you say that's the best scene in the movie? Top two or three. Okay, yeah. Well, I would say I would say coming from Darren Aronofsky's filmmaking standpoint, the the slow tracking shot of Ellen Burstein cleaning the apartment. Oh, the time lapse. Yes. Yes. Probably in terms of filmmaking, that's my favorite scene. But in terms of like storytelling and acting, mm-hmm. Oh, of course, it, it has to be that scene between those two. Right. It's it's so great. And, and you talk about you know the the levels that Ellen Burstyn plays throughout the movie. That scene itself plays so many different levels. Oh,
0: and this was actually a better choice than I thought it was because we can actually, going back, if you remember our first episode, if you happened to listen to that, we talked about Stand By Me, which also features four characters. And in that, I may have mentioned how it, it wasn't fairly balanced. And what's so great about Requiem for a Dream is that they really balance all four of these people. You really get to go on, you go on a journey with all of them, but you also get their individual journeys as well. And you get to spend, like I just said, maybe it's a little more weighted towards Burstein and Leto, but there is an equal emotion, even if it's not an equal amount of running time, there's an equal emotional journey that you go on with them all. Yeah, absolutely. And it it is a, they all get a complete arc Mm -hmm. ending in them all curling into the fetal position at the end.
1: Which, but well, I don't want to get there yet. But did you hear what Aronofsky said about about that? No. Okay. Well, when we get, to, yeah. okay, I want to get a little bit further in there.
0: We'll, we jumped ahead there. Later. Um,
1: but uh, so yeah, the scene between um Harry and Sarah Goldfarb. Um, you know, it starts off. You can tell he doesn't really want to be there. I mean, he loves he loves her, but it's it's a chore. Sure. What he's doing, but he wants to be nice. So he's getting her the TV, mm-hmm. and. They've
0: got a little money. The summer's been going good for them. Yep. It's time to give some back to mom. Right? Yeah. There's a great detail in that scene that I didn't catch all the all the many times that I've seen it. There's a little detail I caught this time around where he looks at a picture, and if it's it's of him and his mom and his dad at his graduation, and the way that he's holding himself, the way he's holding his arm, it's the same arm. Yeah, and you can tell that he's already using. You know, he, he's he's uncomfortable. He doesn't want to be around them. This is a really awkward thing for them. All he's thinking about in that picture is my next fix. Oh, dude, watch
1: him throughout the movie. He's he's touching that arm early on. Yep. So, I mean, throughout. It's, yep. it's it's Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's, it's a great. subtle foreshadowing of what's going to happen to that perfect. arm. Yeah. yeah. It,
0: it is. It's not just Leto. It's a perfect performance from all of them. Jennifer Connelly, mm-hmm. we haven't mentioned yet. She's great. She, for me, doesn't really come into her own until kind of later in that fall sequence that's when the movie sort of switches gears a little bit when the movie becomes a horror film because yeah. it does there is yeah. a very clear transition to where this stops being a drama stops being a character study and just flat out turns into a horror film yeah and that's where Jennifer Connolly really comes into her own because what was she what was she known for before before
1: this? that she was in um, labyrinth right well yeah you think Jennifer Connolly you think labyrinth yeah Right. She did something kind of indie also before this, and I can't, I'm, it's slipping my mind right sure. now. Well, um, she had a bit part
0: in uh, Leone's last film as well. She was in Once Upon a Time in America. Oh, God. Yeah. Wow. She, she's in that. I mean, she, you know, prolific stuff there towards the beginning and yeah. kind of a little sag in the 90s. But this, this is where she blew up because right after this, she turned around and did Beautiful Mind. Yep, right? yep, won
1: her Oscar. Yep. yep.
0: Yeah. Um. But yeah, she comes into her own in that sequence. Where, oh, yeah. And the things that she has to do and where she degrades herself, the quote-unquote sacrifices that she makes in order for them to get their next fix, yeah. it's really it's reminiscent of me to uh, uh, Kitty Wynn in uh, Panic in Needle Park, which is really one of Al Pacino's first films. Yeah, which, I've, never, I've never seen that. Uh, you, again, you as an actor, you owe it to yourself to see just how good Pacino was right at the start, yeah. and how good she is, how good they are together. Sure. Because it's a film that in the early '70s, deals with drug abuse. In fact, I think it's the only film that I can think of that deals with heroin addiction that has a PG rating. Ah, yeah, of course. And it really needs to be reevaluated because that—I don't know how that slipped by the censors. Man, that movie is—it's—it's <laughs> it's dark. It's dark on like a midnight cowboy level.
1: Oh, okay, that's—that's that's pretty dark. You mentioned earlier about you know, yeah, we're basically following Jerry Lito and Ellen Burstein around, but once, basically, once. Uh, Ty gets arrested for possession and whatever. They've got to. They basically have to dip into their stash. Well, that's the beginning of the end. Isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. But it's it's just like Jennifer Connelly takes a huge turn, and it's not. It's a believable turn because we really see how how hooked she is. Yeah. And I think maybe prior to that, I just you didn't really see it. Yeah. And I, maybe, you, and you can make the case where maybe she's
0: more addicted than than any of them. Yeah. Well, certainly, certainly, any of the the, the guys. Sure, I, mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't compare her. Ellen Burstein is obviously hooked, but of the three younger characters, yeah, she goes. I mean, she doesn't lose her arm, but she goes as far as degrading herself. Like, yeah, she goes further than the other two. Yeah, you really, as I say, you really start to see just how much it's gotten a hold of her psyche. Yeah,
1: I mean, so much so that at at, at the end, when she's, when when she's curling up into her fetal position she's got a smile on her face yeah. she's holding the drugs and she curls up and she's got a smile on her face despite the fact that she's just put been put through hell to yeah. get it yeah and I mean again we don't we don't need any any symbolic gestures we just you just show us the hard nose truth and it's just it's brutal I mean the point where oh. she's she's I don't know that I'd say that
0: she's the the unsung hero but she's certainly the one that didn't get the attention that she should have. Okay, maybe it maybe it did get her the role for A Beautiful Mind, but at the time Sure. People weren't everybody was just talking about Ellen Burstein. Whereas yeah. I don't feel like people really appreciated Jennifer Connolly's performances in it as much as maybe they should have. Yeah. I agree. Well, and again,
1: I think that's I think it's a, a testament to how good Ellen Burstein was. Sure. Um but also, I mean, I and I would say the same thing about Marlon Wayne's. Yeah. I mean, they really just I'm and I'm sure people liked what they did, but in terms of like big recognition, I think they I think they got passed over
0: while we're while we're talking about Marlon Wayans I love his flashback sequence. yeah, where he stood in front of the he's playing with the mirror.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: you know, he's just bought himself this this fancy ass sliding mirror. yeah, and, and you know he's got the the beautiful woman on his bed, but he's not paying attention to her. He's just having this moment with the mirror, and then he flashes back to being curled, you know, taken into his his grandmother's or his mother's I arms I think it's his moms. I think it's his moms because yeah. okay. they don't really call that out, but we can assume it's probably his mom's arms. Uh, that's such a, such a beautiful moment,
1: right before things just go completely sideways. And so, so what I mentioned earlier that I'll, I'll bring up now. Um, at the end of the movie, every single one of the characters has a moment where they they curl up into the fetal position, as the camera kind of pans up into the ceiling. Where they're all in different places. Um, but what Darren Aronofsky said was that um, that Ty, Marlon Wayne's character, is the only one capable. Of redeeming himself, um, because at that point, he said, "Because because he, when he says when he's laying down, he he sees that image of his mom, of him in his mom's arms, and there was something about that that Darren Aronofsky said, you know, that he still has hope to to change because there's a reason to change. Um, yeah. Unlike the other three, you know, I mean, Jared Leto might get better, but he's certainly he's not." In a literal sense, he's not a whole man anymore. No. Jennifer Connelly, I think that, I think what, and actually, Jennifer Connelly and Ellen Bursteins are so similar, her smile with the drugs makes you think, she's gonna keep doing this. This is it for her, this is her life now. And Ellen Burstein, God, when she, she like touches her lips and then smiles and curls up and she's still seeing that image of of being on Juice My Tappy and and making it onto the show. And it's so
0: heartbreaking. Chips, that's... And again, that's her life now. Yeah. That's all she'll ever know. You
1: you wanna think that she that she's gonna be better, but the harsh reality of this movie and the reason why I think it is so effective is because it's not a happy ending. It's it's the it's a true, honest Mm.
0: ending. No. No, I I agree with that.
1: Yeah. I mean it's it's
0: a nightmare. It's a spiral into hell. Yeah. Is what it is. Um so, just a few moments ago, I was talking about how I wouldn't quite call Jennifer Con- Connelly the, the unsung hero. It's because Chris McDonald is. Yeah. He is the unsung hero of this film. Nobody talks about the Tappy sequences when they talk about this film. And they really should. They should. Because they are so good. He is incredible in it. Do you know about the filming of that? I don't. So, apparently, he improved most of that stuff. Oh, that wouldn't... He is...
1: He's a very underutilized actor. That I doesn't surprise me at all. I, I don't have it in my notes, but I wanna say that he was on set for a day. They did all that in a day. He he like the I mean and that's not just the, the stuff with him writing on the writing on the board and stuff, but that's that's when like the Sarah's apartment breaks up and oh, he okay. comes in, but like he was on set for a day. And then I heard that the the extras who were who are there in the audience when he's doing his tabby stuff gave him, like, a huge round of applause because he was just making a lot of that up. Yeah. I think the rules were in place, the no refined sugar, no red meat. But other than that, like, he was just – And that's the other great thing about that. We never hear the third rule, do we? Uh, we don't. From what I could research, Aron- Aronofsky says that if you listen closely at one point, it's it's sex is it's it? the third one. Yeah, no sex oh, is that's the third brilliant. one. That's so good. Um. And apparently Aronofsky said uh, to Marlon Wayans, at least Marlon Wayans and, and Jared Leto, but it might have been the whole cast, that for like 60 days they couldn't have sugar or red meat mm-hmm. before the filming to get like what that craving is. And apparently yeah. it like it really helped them for like, you know, what that jonesing for something yeah, is. Yeah, now no, granted, I know that red meat and, sh- and sugar is not heroin, but you know. it. Sure. I mean, you've, you've, you can extrapolate from that. Oh, Absolutely. And then you know, and then Jared Leto did his thing. Apparently, he hung out with junkies in Brooklyn, and you know, did his. And again,
0: there's no surprise why he got his. He is a he is a, a true character actor.
1: You mean method? Uh, uh, well, yes, method. Is that well? I mean, is that yeah? Is that... Well, yeah,
0: both. I think yeah, method character actor. Yeah. I think he's he can do both.
1: He can, um, he can be both. One thing. So I, I just said. It, but when we were doing this earlier, I said that there's no funny parts in this movie. There is. There is a line in this in this movie that I think is is really funny. So one of the first Dude, things. Don't be that guy that says the ass to ass. No, 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 no. <laughs> Early on in the movie, um, Jared Leto is huffing his mom's TV across Coney Island to to pawn it. Yeah. And a as great he's little
0: cameo from Mark McGulish there. Yeah. The yeah.
1: Aronofsky collaborator. So so they, they, they bring the TV and um, the first funny moment with him is uh, when he says to Jared Leto your mother needs you like a moose needs a hat rack I that's think great. is great. I didn't pick that up. That's oh, great. Oh I love that line and then when when Sarah comes to get the TV the journal says Goldfarb TV like that's how yeah. many times that TV's been pawned yeah. and it's just oh it's, it's funny in a very sad way. Yeah. Um <laughs> Question for you, Ellen Bur- Sarah Goldfarb, Ellen Burstein's character, really goes off the deep end at the end. I mean, she's she's really not sure where she is or what's going on. My question to you is, do you think it's just the the diet pills that lead her down there? Because in the very first scene of the movie, where Jared Leto's trying to take the TV and she's hiding in her bedroom. Ooh, she's locked and herself and she... Yeah. Pushes the key under to him. Well, once he leaves, she has a little bit of dialogue with her dead husband. Yeah.
0: No, it's, it's always, it's, it's there, and it's probably always been there. Okay. Or at least since her husband died. Yeah. You, maybe the, you, you can extrapolate that perhaps it wasn't the most loving relationship in the world. Maybe sure. It was Maybe there's some dependency there's certain, They certainly set up that there was some dependency yeah. On her part And so that makes sense when the pills come into her life Okay now she's found something else to be dependent on She doesn't have her husband, she doesn't have her son She doesn't really, as she says She doesn't have a reason to get up in the morning But the pills and being on TV, the red dress Those are things, those are reasons to get up in the morning
1: right? So they, yeah. they build that there is A dependency in this woman And the other, I mean just her stories In general, I mean I almost wish she'd made the TV thing up the, the application and, and everything, but, I mean, she actually got this thing in the mail. I mean, she... I mean, who knows what her chances were of getting getting on to a show or whatever it was that she was going to do, but it's not like she was even making it up. Yeah. And there's... And that's... in that... The great scene with her and Jared Leto, she's choosing... He's choosing not to believe her, and can you just feel so bad for her because yeah. she's not making it up. Yeah, the, between
0: between that and when she actually goes to the TV studio... Those those are really that's hard to watch for me. As much as some of the the, the cause I have a problem with needles like needles sure. really don't do well with me. Yeah. Um, as as hard as those scenes are to watch, the one where she goes to the studio and the state that she is in, and it's it's right there on everybody's faces. Yeah. You know, at how how low she has sunk, how how much of an how much of the the system if you will has failed her the fact that these and that, that kind of plays into it too not just her dependency but the fact that the system has failed this older woman who arguably can't take care of herself anymore yeah. right? they're just throwing pills at the problem here these will make you feel better these will perk you right up these will help yeah. you drop that 20 pounds or whatever it is you want to lose right and then the system goes even further to fail her uh, the fact that yes she doesn't know where
1: they are and you could argue that she's being taken advantage of by those orderlies I, I find very few things wrong with this movie. I mean, it, it's a hard movie to watch, but in terms of its storytelling and, and, and the message and every, and the acting and the directing and everything about it, very few faults. The one thing that I have a hard time with is, so she's she's at the, the hospital, and you can tell that she's out of it. Yeah. And the doctor's like, so this hasn't been working. We've had a lot of success with, I think it says ECT or electric shock, whatever, you know, electric yeah. therapy. And he actually has her sign a form to do it. What? Yeah. I mean, and, and 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 are you saying that's the moment where the movie jumps the shark a little bit? Well, it it's either it's either that or if that's how it works, then that's really fucked up. Like, if that's because don't you have to be of like sound mind and body before like to sign a like to do that? You know, and I'm not sure. And again, the book.
0: The book was written, I don't, and I don't know oh. how faithful they're being to the book, because the book is, is quite a few years old yes,
1: now. Yes, that's true. I mean... The other thing about the book, apparently, is that the Jennifer Connelly, Marlon Wayans, um, apparently were much younger in the book. They're like teenagers in the oh, book. Oh, okay. Which, um, yeah, you, you can't do that. Yeah. Well, sure. I mean... You, you could. If, if you're Larry Clark,
0: you can. Sure.
1: But. Um, I think it's more effective this way anyway.
0: Not having to, to put that stress on a, on a child actor.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because we've
0: all seen how that's turned out, i.e. Uh, Linda Blair... Oh, we mentioned The Exorcist earlier. Yeah. You know she she has a cameo in
1: Scream. Yeah, she's awful at that cameo. Oh yeah, she is. <laughs> so and I, really is, is
0: Scream Scream was in the the Jack Nicholson edition. Is it in this? Is I, it still in this? I'm, I'm pretty sure it's still in Scream this Scream is still in
1: there. Yeah. I,
0: sh- I showed that to, to Liz, my my wife Liz. I showed her that Scream was in there, and the the look of disgust on her face. She really doesn't like that movie.
1: That's so interesting. Yeah. Well, we'll get to Scream when we get to Scream. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah um any other things about the movie that you want to bring up oh uh, a, a little cameo that i really
0: enjoyed dylan baker as the he's cast as the i believe the role is called the southern doctor yeah the, there's a little moment where he takes the drug is away yeah the when he sees Lido's arm that's a great little touch oh yeah The movie is filled with great little touches like mm-hmm. that and that's certainly one of them um i was gonna mention my favorite shot no please do i don't do you have one I think I think it's the time lapse. I think the it's time the, lapse, Yeah, I, mean, I do. I I think that's great too. I really love the uh, the lighting under the bar, boardwalk where Marlon Wayans and uh, and Lido are discussing sort mm-hmm. of like their situation and how yeah. they've got to get you know when things are are going as wrong. The good news and bad news. Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: There's there's going to be some weight unloaded, but you got to drop. Was it two grand? Yeah, I think. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah the the golden
1: light there. Yeah, is is it's it's, it's
0: it's unlike any other shot in the movie. You could argue that maybe it doesn't. Along in the movie because of how different it is from everything else, but it's it's a little stylized, maybe.
1: But I also think the movie is so New York, it's so Coney Island yeah. that I think if you don't get the boardwalks, like I, it, for me, it just rang. That's where they are right now. They're, they have to have this conversation. Well, yeah, it's, you know,
0: it's like Coney Island almost becomes its own character in the movie. It's, yeah, it's, it's 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 part of a larger framework. Oh, totally. Like, yeah. Oh, well, another another thing that I I really like is uh, we we get let in on the orchestra tuning up yeah and that sort of denotes the, st- the seasons changing is you get to hear the Kronos Quartet you get to hear them tuning yeah. their instruments you know this this is going to be <clears throat> your this is the experience you know almost like when you would go to the, to the theater and you'd hear the orchestra tune up it's kind it's yeah, of the overture Yeah, yeah that's, that's the word I was looking for thank yeah. you yeah you get a little bit of that overture yeah. and then you know getting ready to, to take you on this terrible terrible journey yeah yeah but because they are, the, I mean, that the Lux Turner, the, the theme that we haven't really mentioned—that's uh, I mean, so integral. The score to the so good. Yeah, it's yeah, so integral yeah, to the yeah, film, yeah. and it's so. There's, there's the the score is. It's so well known, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's been used in, in loads of trailers. I oh, mean, obviously yeah. the most famous one is uh, the, they kind of the, the Lord of the Rings, Two one, Towers. The two towers yeah. They did the really souped up, big, big. Or Which of course I, I heard that, and I was like, I don't, nah, I, don't I don't, I don't like it. Nah, I don't like it. Nah. The, the whole point of this thing is it's supposed to be stripped down and yeah. very rough and very
1: intense. It's not supposed to be this big, bombastic. You know, and I get epic. how they made it work for that, but no. Just to talk about my favorite shot. That montage of her cleaning um, the apartment. What Darren Aronofsky said is there was a forty-minute take for twenty-five seconds of screen time,
0: and that's they incredible. shot
1: it more than once. Apparently, after the first time they shot it, Ellen Burstein hurt her back. Oh no! She wasn't happy with the performance and asked to do it again, and just powered through. Yeah, yeah. there you go. That's that's your that's your Oscar right there. I don't. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. In,
0: in the same way, what, we we both seen Florida Project recently you yeah, know it's that moment where Willem Dafoe kicks the pedophile off the ground yeah right that's that. that's the scene that got him his nomination Oof. in the same sense that that time lapse sequence I mean there are so many moments in this movie that you could say this is why she deserves the Oscar but yeah. just just knowing that little tidbit yeah w- and what she did to herself physically that's your Oscar yeah
1: so Ian should Requiem for a Dream be in a 1001 movies you must see before you die unrequitedly yes yeah yeah And Ian said this earlier, and I just want to piggyback on this point that obviously there are a thousand one movies in this book and plenty of other movies that have once been in the book that are no longer in the book. And that'll probably be a separate episode that we do. But I would say that maybe 10 percent of the movies in this book, and that might even be generous, are movies that are going to stick with you. They're not going to leave your brain. They're going to they're going to be implanted and they are going to it's not just going to be that you watched a movie, but your life's going to change.
0: Well, in that 8 millimeter sense, once you see this, you can't unsee it.
1: Yeah, and and I mean, you know, I think it's one of the most honest depictions of drug use and that world that's been put on camera, short of documentaries. And I, I just think, I think if you're a junior going into your senior year, you should have to watch this movie. You should have to watch this movie, sure. especially in high-risk areas, and especially in areas where drug use seems to be pervasive. Show this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it will certainly help scare some people straight.
1: Absolutely. Um, but
0: I would also, unlike our last episode, Stand By Me, where I would be highly surprised had somebody not seen Stand By Me. This Somebody having seen this wouldn't surprise me. I oh, mean, sure. It's, its release was really small, less than 100 screens, uh, made less than $4 million at the box office. Not not enough people have seen it, so that's, that's my hope with this episode, is that it, it helps Get it out there a little bit more. Yeah. If, if if even if even ten people who listen to this, you know, get to watch this, then we've done a good job. So yeah. People need this is a movie you need to see. You, as as the name implies of the book, you must see before you die. Absolutely. This, this is one of the reasons. This is one of the films that hammers home that name.
1: You yeah. must see this film before you die. And if you obviously haven't gotten this vibe yet, it's a hard movie to watch. I would I would definitely maybe follow follow this up with a nice maybe half hour. Uh, situation comedy. Um, put, your, put your favorite cartoon on it. Exact, exactly. Um, but it's, it's hard it's, to watch
0: though it may be, it's very rewarding. Absolutely. Anyway,
1: that was Wreck For a Dream. there was a resounding yes from both of us. Uh, I'm Adam. I'm Ian. And we will see you next week with another film.